Have you ever said, I'll do my own thing since God does not have my back? I imagine most of you have not said that out loud, but maybe you have expressed that subtly or internally as you've experienced different disappointments or maybe the accumulative effects of many disappointments in your life as the life that you dreamed has turned into a nightmare and you just don't have it the way that you want it and you thought God could do better. Some people think that way and it's a big deal. Regularly, it's not unusual for folks to come to our forums with this kind of struggle that they have. They were regenerated by God and they followed the path walking in Christianity, but it did not turn out the way that they had hoped. I think all of us could say that that has been our experience. It definitely has been mine, but for some folks, they really have a hard time with this idea of suffering and and sometimes there is a temptation to accuse God or be angry with God or even walk away from the faith. Well, I want to talk about that in this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. I am Rick Thomas. You can find me at rickthomas.net. If you want to share this podcast with a friend, please do that. The title of it is, I'll Do My Own Thing Since God Does Not Have My Back. That kind of title comes with some questions. We need to upload it. For example, if God is good, why is evil in the world? And there is the dual tension that we all have to wrestle with. A good God juxtaposed to the evil that is in our lives. How can these two things, good and suffering, exist at the same time? especially if there is a loving and omnipotent God. These are big theological questions that you want to interact with. You can spend only a few moments around the internet and realize that there is evil in our world and it is increasing day by day. And the Lord has had several millennia to solve this problem, but he has not done so. These are the things that we don't talk about, but these are the things that we must talk about because it is real. Even our world looks at our Christianity in a mocking way, and they have an opinion on it as they wrestle with the problem with evil and a good and omnipotent God. The screenwriter and actor, producer, author Woody Allen said this, quote, if it turns out that there is a God... The worst that you can say about him is that basically he's an underachiever. As Woody Allen is mocking our religion, but yet there is truth interwoven within his sarcasm. And I want to deal with that in the podcast. If you're discipling someone, counseling someone who has had a series of horrific events in their life, they're going through unmitigated suffering, well, you definitely want to share these concepts with them. Maybe you can share this podcast or the article or just take some of these ideas out and, and try to help them, try to lead them along in a, down a path of restoration I do want to talk to you about this because if you are caring for someone, there are some things that that you want to understand. You want to be careful. 
Helping people is a messy business. Uh, it's not something that happens in a moment and you are done. Helping people is a long-term process. In fact, as long as you know someone, uh, you will spend your entire life helping them to mature and to grow, and hopefully that they are helping you as well. Sometimes when a person is truly stuck in a long-term sin pattern, the temptation would be to try to force righteousness to try to get them to change immediately, and that doesn't work. We want to be with them for the long haul. We want to be patient as we carefully care for him or her, for that matter. And so this is something that we need to hear. And so when someone is questioning God's goodness as they wrestle with the problem with evil, that's not a momentary problem or it's not a problem that just cropped up on their horizon. No, there is usually an accumulative effect that has led to this final conclusion where they are. And so you want to make sure that you are understanding them historically, how they got to this place. But here's the question. How are we supposed to process God's good intentions toward us when bad things happen? For many people, they choose to do their own thing rather than follow a God who does not bring an end to the evil in their lives. And honestly, it makes sense in a way. I mean, from a natural perspective, an Adamic mind, it makes sense. God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He is sovereign. He is transcendent. He can do all these wonderful things. Plus, he is good and righteous and holy and loving but yet my life never changed from this nightmare that I am living. I remember a few years ago, I was counseling a rebellious teen, and he laid this out for me. He said that he had prayed to God for his little brother not to die, and then his little brother died. God did not have his back. So he decided as a youth to engage life according to his desires because the Lord was not going to protect him from evil. That was his perspective. Now, I appreciated the fact that he was, he was telling me his truth. He was telling me exactly what he was thinking, and that is exactly what you want to hear from people. You don't want people to sugarcoat or to mask what their real thoughts are. I don't agree with his perspective, and I didn't agree with him, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But what I did appreciate is, is the fact that he was telling me exactly what he was thinking, and that's what you want to hear. And when someone tells you something, even though it's off the biblical rails, even though it it's not in line with the gospel. You do want to be grateful that they are communicating with you according to their perspective as they see things. And so this young man was walking away from the Lord and he did that because he prayed. He asked God to save his brother and his little brother died. And so what he became is a survivalist at an early age. What I mean about when I say a survivalist, what I'm saying is that we have two options in life. We can rely on the Lord or we can rely on ourselves. And if you make a statement like this, that God doesn't have your back, well, guess what you're going to do? You're going to take option number two. You're going to rely on yourself. You're going to become a survivalist. 
You're going to become an evolutionist, the survival of the fittest, because God is not there according to your perspective and your experience. And so from his perspective, he had no choice but to carve out a life on his terms according to his abilities. That's the self-reliant model right there. Now you add to this make-it-up-as-you-go-along philosophy an angry chip on a person's shoulder and you have a deadly duo, a self-sufficient man or a young man with an angry uh, anger or an angry attitude. It's a combination of living life without God and anger that will lead you down a, a long path of increasing sinfulness. And this is one of the hard parts about helping people that you love, that you watch them walk down a path of self-destruction and you know how it's going to go for them. You can predict their future. Any self-reliant person, anybody who chooses not to rely on the Lord is going to walk down a path of increasing sinfulness. There is no other option and there's a zillion testimonies that would affirm this truth. But then when you add the, this idea of anger onto a self-reliant person, it's only going to speed up the process. But this is the result of what happened to my teen friend. And it's important for you to know that he didn't just choose to sin that day by making that statement that God didn't have his back and so he was going to do his, his own thing. That just did not pop up in a moment, but it is the result of of what happened through a long period of, of sinful living and sinful choices and sinful shaping influences that had been in his life. Now, ultimately, the sinful things we do are the choices that we make, and he was making a choice that day in my office. But long before he made that choice, there was a running narrative in his life that led to that choice. And that's what I want you to see in this podcast or part of what I want you to see. Because sometimes we can hear what somebody says and we can jump them quickly for what they're saying and not realize that there's, there's been a long-running narrative that brought them to this place. And so it's essential for us to know this. Because if we don't, we will be too easily tempted to jump on the sinning person for the sin they committed while missing the storyline of how they got to this place. And so you want to understand the running narrative. In the case of my rebellious teen, his parents were making the mistake that I'm appealing to you not to make. They were jumping all up in his business, demanding that he cease from sinning. And they were not carefully examining the narrative that led to his sinfulness. And this method, this parental method for change, well... It didn't bring change. All it did is it exacerbated an already volatile situation. They were not stepping into his long-running narrative, his long-running storyline, and trying to understand how he got to this place. You just don't make that kind of decision impulsively. Usually, well, almost always, is the accumulative effect of a lot of disappointing things. But when you jump on them without trying to unpack and understand them, you'll be tempted to do the two you'll be tempted to do two things that will complicate the problem. Thing number one, you'll blow up in anger when they disappoint you again. And you just can't
can't do that, and you want to make sure that you don't don't try to justify or rationalize your anger as being righteous. You need to call it for what it is. You're angry because you're disappointed again. And so you will be tempted to blow up at them when they make statements like what my rebellious teenage friend was saying. But also, and maybe a little more complicated, is that your anger could stop them from doing the sinful thing that you hate. At least you could stop them from doing it in front of you. If you stop them from doing it in front of you, maybe he would never make that statement in front of you that God doesn't have my back, so I'm going to do my own thing. But that doesn't mean that he has changed at all. And you can actually disqualify yourself from helping this person because you shut them down, but they haven't changed internally. Without biblically understanding a person, you can stop them from sinning behaviorally, but you will not see them transform from the inside out. What we call this in the Christian community is legalism, is behavioral modification without a heart change. But a wise friend will begin walking down the path of a person's past trying to understand the developmental reasons for the lousy outcome that they are currently seeing in their friend. We can blow these God-ordained opportunities too often. If we have a knee-jerk response and fly off the handle at them, well, it could be disastrous as far as the relationship is concerned. You don't want to fall for the the trap of pragmatic sanctification. You know what pragmatism is? It's, it's results. I'm only looking for results. And again, you can get those behavioral results by manipulating a person into perceived sanctification. But this pragmatic sanctification approach does not transform And so the wise and humble and intentional friend will see how the person has been inching his way towards sinful choices over the years. And what I wanted to do with my teenage friend is I had 15 years in front of me, 15 years of his life. And rather than just counseling him exclusively in the moment, in the office, in that second that he made that statement, I wanted to take a macro view of his life from beginning to end or from beginning to age 15 to see how he got that way. Rather than blowing up at him, I wanted to unpack his desires, his fears, his disappointments that have been in his narrative for a long time. You want to open the hood of his life and look at the engine and look at all the parts and bring biblical solutions to him, hoping that real transformation will happen. And so that's an introduction, some things to caution you about as you're helping a person who is stuck and making these profound statements. I'll do my own thing since God does not have my back. And now I want to transition the podcast at this point. I want to give you some tips for looking under the hood. So as you pop the hood and look underneath, I want to give you some tips for unpacking the narrative, the long story, the macro view that led to the sinful choice. And so I'll give you I'll give you three things to to think about. And this obviously is not an exhaustive 
exhaustive answer or a solution to a person like this, but hopefully it'll, it'll get the ball rolling in your mind and you can noodle on this and, and add your own ideas as well. And so the first tip as you look under the hood of a person like this is, is there's really no satisfying answer to the problem of evil that will convince or help the person that's stuck in sin. You want to be honest about this. I mean, there have been zillions of people who have written book after book after book on the problem of evil as they juxtapose evil with a good God. And at the bottom of it all, in our finite minds, there is no satisfying answer to this because at the end of the day, you still have a good God and you have evil in the world. I mean, what could I tell my teenage friend who was struggling with the death of his brother? He was raised to know God and to love him with his whole heart. They went to church. They did church things. He believed God was good. Was it really wrong for him to think that God would do good things for him? Was it wrong for him to pray the one option prayer? The one option prayer, dear Lord, please heal my brother. I mean, you prayed that prayer before and maybe you didn't say this is the only option that I'm going to pray, but it is the main option that you pray. Dear Lord, heal my brother, bring my spouse back, help my child to repent, save my parents. I mean, that's our number one prayer. He didn't have a second prayer. He didn't add, if it's your will, Lord. But was it really wrong for him to pray the one option prayer? I mean, I could give him the the God is good response, or even worse, the Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. I could lay that out before him. Maybe I could drop revelation on him and talk about how things will, will be better in a future day and there'll be no more tears in heaven. The truth is all of those biblical responses fall flat when life breaks your heart. I've had some folks tell me once or twice that all things work together for good. And I remember telling my friend Randy over 30 years ago, I said, Randy, has it ever occurred to you that I might not want all things to work together for good for me? I just want my wife back. And I'm sure my rebellious friend could say a similar thing. Well, I know all things work together for good, but the truth is I... I want my brother alive and healthy. Biblical responses can fall flat. I'm not saying that you should pump the brakes on them or not use them. At the appropriate time, you do, but you also want to understand there's another appropriate time. There's an appropriate time when you need to give a person some space to wobble because there truly is no completely satisfying answer to this problem of evil. There's an element of mystery to the evil in our world, and that truth needs to be part of how we engage the problem of evil with those who have experienced it. I would give you Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. We are not omnipotent. There are secret things. There is an element of mystery, and it's okay not to know all the answers. Sometimes you can feel pressure to give a response 
like some of the ones that I mentioned. God is good. Maybe you should hold off on the bumper sticker and just give the person a little room to wobble as they wrestle with this problem of evil as it is in their life acutely. When Billy Graham addressed, the Oklahoma, addressed Oklahoma City after the terrible bombing in the mid-90s, I believe, he humbly acknowledged this element of mystery when he said, quote, I pray that you will not let bitterness and poison creep into your soul, but that you will turn in faith and trust in God even if we cannot understand it is better to face something like this with God than without Him. And that was Billy Graham's response to this idea of mystery when horrific things happen in our lives. And we have to embrace this. There is, there is a lot of, of unknown there. There is affirmation that there are secret things in play that I cannot perceive um, possibly never be able to understand why my brother died or not be able to understand completely in this life. And so tip number one, when you look under the hood of an individual who is struggling with evil that has come to them, is that you have to understand is there truly isn't no satisfying answer to where they're just going to rise from the dirt and say and, and dust themselves off and say, okay, I'm good, let's move on. No, they, they will continue to wrestle and there'll be an element of lack of satisfaction in what's going on with them. The second tip is I want you to identify with them. I want you to identify with them because you can when someone has experienced the evil in our world, as much as possible, try to identify with them. The parents of my teenage friend stopped working to identify with him as they were basically rebuking him for his stubborn position and defiance. They went from trying to understand to demanding he stop his behavior or he would suffer the consequences. I'm not saying there's no place for consequences. At some time, at some point, you, you do have to administer hard discipline as the Lord does with us. But you do want to make sure that you are identifying. There is a place, there is a time to implement consequences for actions. But let me ask, are you accepting the call to understand the struggler that is having a hard time with the evil that has come to them? A person's sin should first draw out a gentle response rather than a harsh rebuke or some kind of manipulative action to get them to behaviorally modify. You want to carefully and kindly seek to understand what is going on in the heart that is behind the person who is struggling. Listen to their story with the hope of understanding their pain, their fear, their anger, and their desires. They want something that they cannot have or they're, they're not able to attain at this point. They are afraid. They are out of control. And they're responding in anger to the pain. I regularly encounter this in marriage counseling. One spouse is exasperated with the other spouse because of some bad habituations. That other spouse has been making bad choices and living a sinful lifestyle. 
Rather than pitying the person, the caught person, the other spouse, the victim spouse, uses anger or condemnation as their method to, to get them to change. And, and that approach never works. The manipulating spouse does not take into consideration that they married damaged goods. We're all damaged goods. We all came from the dinged and dented section of the grocery store. We're fallen in Adam. Nobody is perfect. Nobody comes into any relationship perfected. We all have a former manner of life that Paul talked about in Ephesians 4.22. And we drag that former manner of life into our relationship. When I married Lucia, I brought a lot of baggage into our relationship. I had a life before I met her, and it wasn't a perfected life. Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians 4. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through, de uh, through deceitful desires. If you do not have the patience or the grace to persevere with a person's former manner of life, which, by the way, is the only kind of relationship you can have with them. You marry all of them, you live with all of them, and if you don't have the patience and grace to persevere with that aspect of them, their former manner of life, you will complicate that relationship by your sinfulness. There's a lot of pain that goes with a person who is struggling with the evil that has happened to them. One of the ways you can identify with them is by sharing your own story of pain and how the Lord has helped you through it. But I do want to caution you at this point. Sometimes when people do this, they map their story over the individual and then all of a sudden the conversation has shifted from the person who is struggling to the person who's talking about how uh, they went through this and this and that happened to them and, and all the nuance of their story. And they're no longer identifying with them as much as they're making it about themselves. And so as you identify, you want to do that with wisdom. This podcast is titled, I'll Do My Own Thing. Since God does not have my back, I want to get inside of that. And I'm doing that by offering you some tips of how to help this person by unpacking the, the long narrative of their life. There are three tips. The first one is, is that you'll not be able to give them a satisfying answer. You'll have to rest in the element of mystery that is in this problem that I'm presenting to you. The second tip is to identify with them without making it all about you, but you want to give them the hope of the gospel and how God has worked in your life to transform you through your disappointments. And then point number three is lead them, lead them to discovery. Ask the person to answer their questions about God and evil when they are struggling. Many times the best first answer to a challenging issue is to answer their question with a question. Have them answer their question. Instead of you spouting off with what the Bible says, help them to explore a bit, lead them to discovery. When you do this, it will give you insight into where they are and where you need to go with them. As they answer the question themselves, they will ex be explaining to you their theology and how they got to this place, and you won't have to assume. 
Jesus said, from our hearts come our words. And if you ask them a question, guess what? They're going to reveal their hearts. They will unpack for you their theology, how they, how they think about and how they respond to God. Did you know that everybody has a theology? Even the atheist who doesn't believe God has a theology. His theology says, I don't believe in God. And also, nobody has a perfect theology, even though we all have one, including the devil. The devil believes, the devils believe, and they tremble. They know that there is a God. They have a theology. It's an imperfect theology. Hopefully yours is not that imperfect, but it's definitely not perfect. And so when a person is struggling, one of the essential pieces of information you can draw out of them is how they think about and respond to God. Now, they did tip their hand already when they said that God doesn't have my back, and so I'm going to rely on myself instead of Him. But you want to get inside that, which is what this podcast is about. And so you want to ask them some questions, more questions. Many times you'll hear a story As you ask these questions about something that has happened in their lives that hurt or ruined their faith in God, you will learn how they were unhooked or shaken from sound biblical moorings. Bad things in people's lives can damage or destroy whatever faith they may possess. I have heard hundreds of stories of people who did not have sound theology and was unable to process big life problems. So they walked away from God. He didn't come through for them in their time of need. My rebellious friend, well, he had imperfect theology and then plopped down on his imperfect theology was a big problem with evil. And it was more than he could cope with at the time. And and so I wanted to help him walk through it. There's a little more to this podcast. You can read it. Thank you so much for listening to it. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.